God has abandoned. God has forgotten. Why are things like this? There is no purpose in this. Have you been tempted to think these thoughts, especially in times of great need, great and urgent need? Perhaps you want to witness to God at your workplace, but the relentless pressure of work leaves you with little or no margin for anything else. Maybe you want to stand for Jesus, but your friends make fun of you. Perhaps you want to care for your family and to love them well, just as Jesus commanded. But long-term care needs pushes you to impatience and despair. Maybe you want to thrive in your Christian walk and serve Christ, but your ongoing struggle with mental and emotional health issues cripples you. Or perhaps you've been asked to serve in church, but you feel unfit and unable. God has called you to live for Him and to serve and worship Him, but you think you cannot. He has called you to be faithful in troubles and difficulties, but you feel unable and alone. We wonder, in times like this, has God abandoned? Has God forgotten? Why are things like this? Is there no purpose in this? Moses himself would have thought and felt this way. Remember what happened to Moses? He was born to a people and slave in Egypt and faced death. But God divinely intervened. He escaped and was rescued from the river, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, a literal prince of Egypt. He had all the privileges of royalty. He was taught by his biological parents his heritage and was brought to faith in the God of the Israelites. He identified with God's people but took matters into his own hands in trying to free his people. He murdered an Egyptian and was found out not only that, he was rejected by his own people and pursued by Pharaoh. Moses fled to the wilderness of Midian and became a lowly shepherd. And he spent the next or the following 40 years of his life tending livestock in the wilderness, far from Egypt, away from his former privilege and power. Moses must think that he failed and is unfit. He must have thought that God is done with me. But God was not done with him. As we see in today's passage in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 14, we see in this passage the Lord who will be here with his people. Beloved, God is not done with you. Despite our failures, our fears, our doubts, our discouragement, we are to trust and take heart that God's divine presence is with us. And with this divine presence in us, we will be able to do what God calls us to do. And this point is the main point of today's passage. We are to trust and take heart that God's divine presence is with us. And this presence in us, will enable us to do what He calls us to do. 
And the outline for today only comprises two points. God is concerned for you and acts on your behalf, verses 1 to 10. And God is the great I am that is with you, verses 11 to 14. So bear these two points in mind as you look with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 14, as I read the passage for us. This passage is found on page 847 of the Pew Bible, so if you need to have a paper Bible, you can reach down for that, page 847. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 14. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, Moses called to him out of the bush. God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, meaning God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers have sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You know, the prequel to today's passage started all the way back in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. And look back to the section that is before today's passage with me. Verse 23 of chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. 
and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Even with a new king, the people of Israel were still in deep trouble. They were enslaved and oppressed. They prayed and cried out to God for rescue. And God heard their groaning. God remembered His promises and acted to deliver them. And this is what we see in this, the verses 1 to 3 of chapter 3 today. Uh, 1 to 4 of chapter 3 today. We see God acting. God initiates His rescue by calling Moses. So look with me to verse 1. Enter Moses. And Moses was keeping the flock of his father, Dretro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We catch up with Moses after 40 years. 40 years since we last saw him. Moses is now a shepherd, tending to the livestock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Moses was faithful to the ordinary as he fulfilled this humble vocation, his humble vocation. This past 40 years as a shepherd was preparing Moses to be a shepherd for God's people. God calls us to be faithful in the ordinary things of life. And God will use our experience to equip us for the task He calls us to. No experience is wasted in God's timing and plan. And providentially, by God's leading, Moses led his flock to graze on the far side of the wilderness. There he came to Horeb, also known as Sinai, the mountain where Moses would encounter God's presence. And we see Moses' encounter with the divine presence in verses 2 to 4. Look with me at verses 2 to 4. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Beloved, take note here. It is God who initiates the encounter. You know, Moses was minding his own business, tending his flock, when the angel of the Lord appeared. Now, who is this angel of the Lord? The angel, or it can be translated messenger, appeared amid the fire of the burning bush. And in ancient times, the messenger of a king was closely associated and spoke with the king's authority as if the king was present. So the messenger of the Lord here spoke with the Lord's authority. But there is more, because we see in verse 4 and following, this angel of the Lord was closely identified with the Lord God himself. When the angel speaks, God speaks. And this has led to some theologians to believe that this angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. While we may not know conclusively here, but we do know that the divine presence of God 
was in the burning bush. The bush was burning. But something strange was happening. The fire did not burn it up. You know, fire needs fuel and oxygen to burn, similar to how we consume food and we need oxygen to power metabolism. But the burning bush was not consumed. The fire was self-sustaining, which was extraordinary. The self-sustaining burning bush gives a picture of our self-sufficient God. God does not need or depend on anything or anyone for His existence. And this self-sustaining burning bush caused Moses to be curious. I mean, you see something that's burning and it's supposed to burn out after like five minutes, but it continues for a while, you will be curious. So Moses draw closer to have a look. We see this in verse 3. And God waited for Moses to draw near. When Moses drew near, God again took the initiative to call Moses. Moses, Moses. The way God called Moses here is a, is a reminiscent of God's call of prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And similarly, like the prophets, Moses replied here, Here I am. And when Moses replied, Here I am, he was not merely giving his location where he was, but it was a reply of willing response. God takes initiative to enact his plan, his rescue plan for the nation of Israel through his call to, of Moses. God initiates and calls, and Moses responds responded willingly. You know, beloved, throughout the Bible, we see God takes initiative. God first reveals Himself to us, without which we will not know Him. God takes initiative to save us by calling and sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to seek and save us, the lost. God takes divine initiative, which should both humble us and give us confidence. Because left on our own, as Paul tells us in Romans 3, we will not seek God. This should humble us, knowing that we are saved is, uh, is by God's initiative. And because it is God who first takes the initiative, we can have confidence that what God starts, He will bring to completion. God cares and takes the initiative to act. You know, our God who acts is also a holy God. Look with me to verses 5 and 6. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God gives instructions and warns Moses not to come nearer. And the reason being that the ground before the burning bush is holy ground. You know, the, the very ordinariness of the location, you know, it's just sand around some uh, bush, you know, helps make the point that this is holy ground, not because of any special properties of the place, but only because of God's presence. God's presence made the ground holy. And the holiness of God is a theme in Exodus. God is holy. And He is the one who makes and declares people and places to be holy. And each is understood only as holy 
in his relationship to God. You know, most of us, when we hear holiness, we think of moral purity and righteousness. Yes, God is morally pure and righteous, perfectly so. But holiness also points to God's distinctiveness, uniqueness, or otherness. There is no one else like the Lord. The holiness of God's presence overwhelms Moses. He hid his face and was afraid to look at God. We see this in verse 5. Moses was in awe and afraid, for God's holiness could break out against a sinner. But even here we see that God cares. The God who initiates also makes provision for Moses to draw near. God tells Moses to take off the sandals off your feet as a sign of awe and reverence. You now we recall Isaiah's experience in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah himself, the prophet Isaiah, was overwhelmed by God's holiness. And God provided one of the seraphim to use burning coals to touch Isaiah's mouth to atone for his sins. We see this Isaiah 6, verses 5 to 7. God has always provided a way for sinful man to enter his holy presence. And in these last days, God has provided his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sins so that we can draw near to God, so that we can enjoy being in the divine presence of God. And God continues in verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And we see that Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look at God. God reveals himself to be as the God of Moses' father, Amran. God makes it clear that who Moses is, is framed primarily by his being an offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses belongs to God's people, whom God has pledged himself by covenant promise. That is Moses' identity. And God was Moses' God too. And now God was acting to bring his promises to pass and will give Moses the task of accomplishing his rescue of the nation of Israel. Beloved, God is concerned for us. God is our God. And if we trusted in Christ Jesus, we are offspring of Abraham by faith. We see this in Galatians 3, 7. And we are now part of God's covenant with his people. And because God had made a covenant, a promise with his people, he is concerned for them, and God acts on their behalf. Look with me now to verses 7 to 10, in what I, I find maybe the, the most moving statement in, in this section of Scripture. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
know, there's a saying, you can't fax a handshake. It's a business expression that means there is no substitute for face-to-face contact with a client. And what we see here is that God is not far off. You know, He does not simply fax His care and affection from a distance. Instead, God has intimate and personal knowledge of Israel's affliction. He has seen their affliction. He has heard their cry and they know, He knows their suffering. God empathizes and cares. And now, God acts. God has come to rescue the people of Israel out of slavery in the land of Egypt to the land of promise. A good land fertile with sweet abundance. The land promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And, Moses, uh, and God tell Moses again in verse 9 for emphasis that he heard the prayers and cries of the people of Israel. He has seen the Egyptians' persecution and ill treatment of the Israelites. God cares and he acts and he gives Moses his task in verse 10. God sends Moses to Pharaoh so that he might bring God's people out of Egypt. God sovereignly acts to save his people And Moses is called to be God's appointed instrument of deliverance. And we see this in verse 10. You know, my friends, God is concerned for you and acts on your behalf. So for my non-Christian friends, you have heard here how God is a holy God and how sinners will be overwhelmed by His presence and perish. But God cares for you He has taken the initiative and makes a provision for you. God tells us that He has provided us His Son, Jesus Christ. And we see this in John 3, 16 and 17, probably the most familiar verses in in Scripture. For God so loved the world, God cares, He loves you dearly, that He gave His only Son. God took the initiative and provided His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. Now I plead with you, acknowledge that you are a sinner who has turned away from God. Believe in God's provision of His Son, Jesus Christ, to save you. Confess that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And if this is your desire, you know, our church website contains the contact details of our elders and pastors. Do reach out to us and we will be glad to walk you through uh, how to receive God's gracious provision of His Son, Jesus Christ. Beloved, God sees, hears and knows you. He acts for your good. You know, how can this truth take hold of you amid your trials and troubles? God is concerned for you and acts on your behalf. Now, I speak to you now. I know there's some of us facing troubles and suffering. You are not alone. God sees, hears, and knows you. And He will act for your good. Take heart and be encouraged. You know, I know when I, I, I face troubles and struggle with suffering, I'm often tempted to turn inward 
and stay away from others. Beloved, do not do that. God can work through extraordinary means, but most times God works through ordinary means. And one key way God shows His love and affection to His people is through His people, the church. God's people are meant to be God's instrument of God's care and affection. You know, I remember it was the third quarter of last year. I was feeling exhausted from the long-term care for my brother. And not one, but two older brothers approached me after service, unprompted, because I had not spoken or shared about it. But both felt prompted to pray for my family and me. So I thank Brother Take War for doing that and Brother Simon for doing that as well. In fact, Simon told me that he felt God prompting him to pray for me that very day. And it was as if through their care and prayers that God reached down almost and patted me on my shoulders saying, I see and I care. You are not alone. So beloved, I plead with you, if you are struggling, do not stay away. Come to the church to be cared for. This is God's ordinary means for showing you His love and affection. For those of us who may be by God's grace doing well, come to the church with the attention of caring for others. And as you do so, you can be God's instrument of care and affection. Some of you may be asking me, how, how do, do we do that? You know, as, as Asians, we tend to be a bit shy. We are not open to sharing our struggles. One way to care for others is through just deeper conversation and prayer. Come earlier for Sunday service and stay later after. Be intentional, get to know others, people new to you or those you already know. And as you speak, even in your ordinary conversations, Listen for areas of spiritual need as you talk. For example, you may find this brother or sister talking a lot about their concern for their children. That is an area of spiritual need, right? Then what you can do is you can pray for them then and there. And when you next meet, you can follow up and ask them, you know, how, how, how are your children? How, how did the matter go? You know, you were struggling with this area. We prayed about it. How did it go? You know? And if needs be, you can pray again. You know, many people are open to prayers. You know, I only know of like one or two people who rejected me when I said I wanted to pray for them. Most people are open to prayers. And they appreciate care through prayers. And prayer uh, by God's people for one another is God's means of working out His ways. It's His means of showing care and affection for His people. You know, Moses received his task of redeeming God's people out of Egypt in verse 10. You would assume that Moses would go, all right, that's great, God, let's, let's get going, you know. Be all fired and excited up and say, let's get to the task. But what we see instead was Moses was reluctant, fearful, and doubtful. And what follows in verses 11 to 14 are two questions by Moses and God's reply to Moses. So look with me first at verses 11 to 12 as we see the first question by Moses and God's reply. But Moses said to God, 
who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I shall be with you, and this shall be a sign for you. They have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses passed failure and the fact that he committed uh, murder. And 40 years, his 40 years in obscurity, in the backwaters, in the nowhere of the wilderness of Midian, they have taken a toll on Moses. Instead of confidence, trust, and obedience you know, to the task God has called him to, Moses questions God. Who, who am I, God, to accomplish the task you called me to? You know, you think back 40 years ago, I, I did it once, but I failed badly. And my people even rejected me. Moses thinks and feels that he is unworthy and unable. And God's reply? You know, God's reply here is really not what we expected. Because God could have listed Moses' credentials and experiences. You know, Moses, you were prince of Egypt, and you know the language and culture of uh, the Egyptians, and you received the finest Egyptian training. Or, or Moses, you know, you just spent 40 years you know, in the wilderness, and, and this was preparation for your character for this task. God could have said all this. But instead, what did God say? Look with me. God instead promises that He will be with Moses. God's divine presence is all that is needed, all that is required to accomplish the task. Now, beloved, as a Singaporean, I can speak to us fellow Singaporeans, we can so often be tempted to rely on our training and experience to accomplish God's task. I'm not despising uh, training and experience. I think it's helpful in, in our vocation and job. But when we bring it to spiritual stuff, we rely on our training and experience to accomplish God's task. But God tells us here, it is His enabling presence. This is what is needed to accomplish God's assignment. And this truth should drive us to our knees to plead for God's enabling presence as we go about God's work. You know, we had over 100 people attend prayer meeting last Sunday. And our desire is to see that room overflow so we have to move to a bigger venue. So come and join us as church every last Sunday of the month as we as God's people plead for God's enabling presence so that we can accomplish God's task for us as a church. Besides the promise of God's divine presence, God promises a sign, sign to Moses to, that God has sent Moses. And this is what God says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve, or as some translations put it, worship God on this mountain. Beloved, do you notice something also unusual here? The sign that was promised to Moses will take place in the future only after Moses had responded in trust and obedience to the task God called him to. Okay? This is not something that says, okay, I'll, I'll show you the sign and you can trust and go and do that. But as you walk out in trust and obedience, as you do that, I'll show you the sign sometime in the future. 
What this means is, is that Moses had to walk in faith, trusting and obeying God in the present and trusting that God's empowering presence will bring the sign to pass sometime in the future. Beloved, even as we trust that God's presence will empower us, we still have to walk by faith and act in obedience, trusting that God will do what He says He will do and that God will enable us for the task. But Moses, but Moses, he was still reluctant to act in faith. So look with me to verses 13 to 14 as we see the second question by Moses and God's reply. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? You know, in Asian culture, to, Asian, uh, culture, to know the name of someone was to learn something essential about the person. Moses was not just asking for God's name. Even though God's name may have not been as common during Israel's slavery in Egypt, Rather, Moses was asking for God's character. You know, whether Moses or his fellow Israelites was familiar with God's name or not, Moses was asking for further information about this God who has appeared to Moses. And God's reply? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In response to Moses' question, God reveals his name as I am who I am, or Yahweh. Okay? Corresponding to the Hebrew consonants written in English in the Bible as YHWH. And the three times I am that is used in verse 14, they all represent forms of the Hebrew verb that means to be. And in each case, the reference uh, is related to the divine name Yahweh. And this divine name, Yahweh, has you know, baffled Bible scholars as to what it means. You know, some suggestions of what it means are you know, God is self-existent and therefore do not depend on anything else for His existence. Or that God is creator and sustainer of all that exists. Or that God is unchanging in His being and character. Or finally, that God is eternal in His existence. While each of this point is theologically true of God, but if you look at the main focus of this passage, the main focus of this passage is on God's promises to be God's promise to be with Moses and his people, as seen in verse 12. Look back at verse 12. In the context of verse 12, the I will that is in verse 12 is actually the same Hebrew word that translates to I am in verse 14. So I am who I am or I will be who I will be means God's divine presence with His people. It's not just His name, but it tells us of God's promise of His divine presence with His people. Can you imagine that? A holy, transcendent God that is totally other, unlike us, is also the God that is with us. The name of Yahweh is a reminder of God's promise to be with His people and of His divine presence that enables them to fulfill their calling. In short, 
God is the great I am that is with us. This theme of God's divine presence runs through the entire Bible. We see Adam and Eve walking in the garden in God's presence, and when they rebelled, they were driven from God's presence for sin. Sinful people cannot be in God's holy presence. And the rest of the Bible tells us of how God provides for sinful human beings a way to return to God's presence. Moses himself was not only promised God's presence here, he was finally convinced that only God's presence was needed to accomplish God's task because we see this in his commissioning of his successor, Joshua, in Deuteronomy 31.8, as Moses prepared to enter the promised land. Moses himself said this to Joshua, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus himself was called Emmanuel, which means God with us in Matthew 1.23. And Jesus himself assumes the name I am in John 8.58. Because Jesus said to, to the, the, his questioners, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And for those of us who trusted in Christ Jesus, as we read in today's uh, alternate scripture, uh, testament scripture, God promises the Holy Spirit, Christ's Spirit, to dwell with us. And God promises this presence with us, with His people, forever and always in Matthew 28, 19-20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Beloved, the task God calls you to may be big and daunting. Things may not change or get better in the near term or immediate term. But the God who calls is the great I am who is with us. Through Jesus Christ, through our faith in Him, Christ sends the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, believers. So God is indeed with us. We should place our confidence in God's indwelling presence and act in obedience, trusting that God's divine presence will equip and enable us for His task. Perhaps you want to witness to God at your workplace, but the relentless pressure of work leaves you with little or no margin for anything else. For those who feel weak, God tells you, I am with you. Maybe you want to stand for Jesus, but your friends make fun of you. To the anxious, God tells you, I am with you. Perhaps you want to care for your family and love them well, but long-term care needs pushes you to impatience and despair. To the despairing, God tells you, I am with you. Maybe you want to thrive in your Christian walk and serve Christ by your ongoing struggle with mental and emotional health cripples you. To the weak and weary, God tells you, I am with you. Perhaps you've been asked to serve in church, but you feel unfit and unable. 
to those who feel unable and unworthy, God tells you, I am with you. We are to trust and take heart that God's divine presence is with us. That's the promise of the gospel. And God will enable us to do what He calls us to. Beloved, God is with you. May you trust and rest in His indwelling presence that enables us. Let us pray. Father God, you are the great I am, and you promise your presence with us, your people. You have provided for us your Son, Jesus Christ, and as we obey his call to the task of the Great Commission, he promises to be with us forever and always. Lord, we pray for your divine presence, that your divine presence will be enough for us. Please help us to trust and obey you as your presence empower us to serve and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.